The Veterans Benefits Administration needs talent in all sorts of areas. Needing to fill differing jobs requires differing recruitment strategies. For how they're going about it, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke to the executive director of the VBA's Office of Human Capital Services, Dr. Aaron Lee. So our hiring process has been um, really successful. I'm very excited to talk to all of your uh, listeners and viewers about what we're doing, especially in terms of supporting PACT Act. So because of that wonderful piece of legislation, we're able to hire um, in ways that we've never been able to hire before, which provides so many opportunities, not only to veterans, but to non-veterans who are interested in supporting um, our nation's heroes. And so some of the things that we've been doing thus far is doing a lot of recruitment um, around uh, local colleges, um, looking for recent college graduates, um, also looking at post-secondary graduates. And then we're also looking at other opportunities, especially for our military spouses, because we've noticed over the years that for those who are looking for those types of careers and are following their service member, um, they always don't have the same opportunities that they have from uh, facility to facility or installation site to installation site. And so we've been able to really target that population in a way we never have before. So because of this great uh, piece of legislation, we're able to do that. And so we're really looking forward to continuing um, the largest uh, hiring act that we've ever had in the history of VBA. There's a wide variety of positions available uh, working with Veterans Affairs. Where right now are you all focused on? What positions are you most focused on filling? So we have three that we're focused on by virtue of their impact on PACT Act, but we have a host, uh, a robust amount of positions that everyone can can visit and, and review at vacareers.va.gov. But those three targeted positions are legal administrative specialists, which are very much like a call center agent. And so they have direct contact, one-on-one uh, -on -one impact on our veterans, their service members, the families, and those uh, that serve alongside of them and support them. And so they help those family members and the veteran to walk through the claims process. And so they provide them with all kinds of great information and knowledge um, along the way. And so if they ever have any questions about their services that they uh, so deserve and, are, and the ones that we honor them with, those are the folks that deal with them uh, first. So when you call our 800 number, um, that's who will uh, pick up the phone. And they're all across uh, the nation. And those are also remote positions. So for folks who are interested in working from home and keeping that work-life balance that they've created maybe over the last few years, that's a great opportunity for them. Then we have our veteran service representative position and our rating veteran service representative positions. And those two positions are directly tied to the claims process as they work on both ends, the front end of the development side of the claim for the veteran, as well as the uh, end point of it when the veteran's claim is rated, and then they're able to receive those benefits. So those are the, uh, the three critical and key positions that directly support uh, PACT Act. Got it. And what have been what have you heard from uh, applicants or folks who were were thinking about applying um, that were some of the challenges that they had in the past of trying to uh, get it, get one of these jobs? And how are you all working towards uh, fixing that and offering new incentives? Well, one of the biggest challenges is the time frame that it takes to go through the hiring process. And so OPM has already set that time frame for us at around 80 days. And so when you think about what the private industry is able to offer, um, it does seem to be a challenge to wait that long at times for a position. Now, what we've been able to do as a virtue um, and, and as a reflection of the PACT Act, the OPM has granted us the direct hiring authority, which is an amazing opportunity for us to drastically cut uh, that hiring timeframe more than in half. And so we're able to hire, in some instances, people right on the spot. So one of the things that our team did um, starting in November 
November of last year was to host in-person hiring fairs. And so we actually did that um, at a military installation site so we could target transitioning service members as well as military spouses. And so at that particular event, I think we had about 80 or so folks to show up and we were able to hire about 70 right on the spot. So well over 90 percent um, intake rate. So that was a, a real great success story. And so then we started rolling those out throughout the rest of the year. So we've done about 10 to 12 now. And so that's something I think that people have not thought of because during the COVID period, obviously people weren't in person. We weren't doing those types of things. And even prior to COVID, we were doing a lot of virtual um, hiring. And so now we've really done a, a hybrid. And so that's really exciting for us. And as far as getting once they are a member of your team, how have you all looked to improve your worker satisfaction rates? Um, You know, those things can have a tendency to go up and down. But um, as a member of the human capital office, what is it that you all um, focus on in, in ensuring that the employees are happy and they stay there once you do get them? So we've got this great program called Stay in VBA. And so that is what we use to increase employee retention and the employee experience. And so, again, really ask for folks to check us out at vacareers.va.gov to learn more information. And, you know, just you personally, uh, what is it about the job that you enjoy the most? I guess, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a doctor, but you're, you're finding yourself in this position. What is it that about it that you enjoy? serving those who serve so well for us. Uh, my grandfather is a Korean World War veteran. Um, I've got other family members, uncles and such that were in the, the Vietnam War. So for me, it's an opportunity not only to pay back those who, who've who given the ultimate sacrifice for me personally, but also for those who serve with them. So it's just a great honor for me to be a part of such an awesome mission. And you've mentioned a few avenues um, that you know folks can go to the website or go to one of your career events. Um, mm-hmm. Are you all looking at any other ways of recruiting new people that are coming down the pipeline? Absolutely. We know a lot of our younger generation is utilizing all of the social media sites. So you can find us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, all those varying sites. All of our jobs are, are posted there as well. And, you know, let's talk turkey. What kind of salary are folks looking at if they do uh, want to go after one of these jobs? So with the three positions I mentioned earlier, you can look at the lowest end, probably around the high 30s, uh, low 40,000 range, up to a six-figure salary, just depending on uh, the nature of your education and experience. And what kind of education and experience does it take for, say, a one of those call center representatives that you mentioned or the other two positions? So those are career ladder positions. So coming in at the end of the ladder, at the, at the lower end of the ladder, there's very limited um, needs. So what we're really looking for is people with customer experience service. Um, if they've had that kind of experience, that's what we're looking for. And so all levels, all um, different experiences and all education levels, we we have no limiting factor. So we encourage people to go to vacareers.va.gov and check those out. And is part of the challenge just the sheer volume of these jobs that, well, you know, a customer service representative, can you ever have too many for for veterans or, you know, is it is that part of the challenge as well as just that there is so much that needs to be done? Yeah, I think that you're you're right. We never can do enough for our veterans. And so we certainly want to ensure that we have um, as much support as we can to make sure that they get the services in a timely manner that really honors their service. So I encourage all of your listeners to go to vacareers.va.gov to check us out, especially our our veterans. Please check us out. We are a veteran-centric organization. Over half of our employees are veterans. So we are definitely looking for you. Dr. Aaron Lee is the executive director of the 
the Office of Human Capital Services at the Veterans Benefits Administration. Speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. Find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, And I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, 
right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As a CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. Them. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, d- d- describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that, believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed. uh, And, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes, right? yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two, yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do. But integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. 
And so I, I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. Matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.